Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us all become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, more controversy at the Christian mega-ministry, Youth with a Mission, and we question why pastors need $800 sneakers. We begin today with an update on last week's mass shooting in Atlanta. The church that alleged gunman attended has now issued a statement. Yeah, the church of the alleged gunman in the fatal shootings of eight people, including six Asian women uh, in Atlanta area spas, has now distanced itself from the suspect, saying that it was absolutely distraught when we found out that the shooter was a member of our congregation. Uh, they issued a statement on Friday, March 19th, saying that uh, the Robert Aaron Long family had been members of their church. By the way, it was Crabapple First Baptist Church in a northern suburb of Atlanta. Uh, The family had been members for many years and that Long had in fact professed faith in Christ when he joined the congregation. Long today is a 21-year-old white man charged with murder in the killings of eight people at three different spas, two in the Atlanta area and one in Cherokee County. What else did the statement say? Well, the church said that Aaron's actions are antithetical to everything that we believe and teach as a church. In the strongest possible terms, we condemn the actions of Aaron Long, as well as his stated reasons for carrying out this wicked plan. The shootings are a total repudiation of our faith and practice, and such actions are completely unacceptable and contrary to the gospel. Authorities said that Long had told them that he had a sexual addiction and carried carried out the slayings to get rid of the temptation posed by the massage businesses. Long had been a customer at two of the Atlanta spas that he targeted. That's At least that's according to police. Long was also a patient at an evangelical treatment center called Hope Quest, just down the road from that third spa. Uh, he was receiving treatment for what he believed was a sex addiction and pornography addiction, according to his former roommate at another treatment center. Or in our next story is an update of one that we reported on last year. Yeah, the scandal goes back, though, not just one year, but in fact, eight years to when Tom Randall, a tall former basketball playing evangelist uh, who was often apparently telling tall tales as well. He was arrested over charges of repeated sexual abuse by the overseers at Sankey Samaritan Orphanage, which was run by Tom Randall's ministry, which is called World Harvest Ministry in the Philippines. Uh, Randall uh, told even taller tales about his imprisonment with a Muslim terrorist bomber, leading Ohio Senator Rob Portman to intervene on his behalf and make efforts to bring him home. But shortly after his arrest, Randall had his operations at his orphanage merged with a church in Ohio called Christ Community Chapel. It's a multi-campus church that had about 5,000 people. Um, That act also brought about $3 million in donor income into the church. Now, though, as the story is is finally unfolding, uh, we know that um, members of that congregation 
uh, are now saying that neither the church nor the orphanage, Sankey Orphanage, has done enough to provide healing and restitution to those who were harmed by the sexual abuse there at the orphanage in the Philippines. The elders of the church, of course, disagree. They say that we believe that we have done all that we reasonably can do to complete that work in an effort to pursue healing, rectify areas of brokenness, and make improvements in our own processes and oversight. But victims of the orphanage in the Philippines and their advocates are saying not so fast. Yeah, that's right. Uh, The group is called Justice for Sankey. They are made up largely of former Christ Community Chapel members who have urged the church to do more for the last couple of years. That's when Ministry Watch started covering it. Uh, They're advocating for greater transparency, and they're encouraging members of the church to stop giving until those changes are made. We first reported on this abuse scandal back in 2019 and we followed up with another report in 2020 that raised questions about the church's response. Now, our next story involves pastors who were the target of an attempted scam. Yeah, last week, Church of the Nazarene alerted its members and leaders about a sophisticated scam targeting church ministers and lay ministers. In a blog post on the website, the Kansas-headquartered Christian denomination said that the perpetrators impersonated regional church leaders in order to request financial assistance from unsuspecting individuals. Pastors from the Church of the Nazarene's main district organization received, in fact, multiple texts and emails from someone who was posing as the district superintendent, a man named Steve Dillman. Uh, They would ask the recipient, these emails and texts, to buy a gift card from an e-commerce site such as Amazon or eBay and then send them photos of the card and the pin code. Did any of the Nazarene ministers fall for the scam? Well, our reporter, Shannon Cuthrell, reached out to the Church of the Nazarene to ask that very question, and we also asked how much money was scammed if some of these pastors did fall for it. And even after repeated requests, we got no answer. That doesn't necessarily mean that the answer is yes and that they're afraid to admit it, but I will add that this sort of scam has become really common. Uh, The emails often look pretty official, and they usually impersonate someone in authority over the ones who are actually receiving the emails. It's sort of like getting an email from your boss. It's something that you can't ignore. In fact, uh, imposter scams have been ranked high, in fact, second by the Federal Trade Commission's list of reported scams for 2020. And they said that there were 498,000 plus reports on these kind of scams. And these reports likely represented tens of millions or more individuals that were actually getting these emails. So the sheer number involved suggests that the scammers are having at least some success. Well, if any of our listeners happens to get one of these scam emails, what should they do? Well, first of all, ignore the email, any email from a person or a group that you don't know who's asking for money or a gift card or anything like that. I don't care how heart-wrenching the story is that comes with that email. If you don't know the person or the organization, just delete the email and move on. Now, if the email is pretending to be from someone you know, read the email and the sender's address closely. If you look closely, you'll usually pick up clues if it's a scam. The email address might be close, but not quite exactly the same as the 
person or the group that you know. And if that's the case, once again, delete it and ignore it. If you still can't figure out if it's from someone you know or not, email the person you know and ask if they really sent you the email. And when you do that, by the way, don't just hit the reply button or it'll go straight back to the scammer's email. And he'll, of course, just say that he is. Send a separate email. Now, you might even forward the suspected scam email to the person you know and say, hey, did this really come from you? That person might not even know that uh, he or she is being used in a scam, that he's been hacked, and it might protect others as well. Yes, that's great advice. Now, our next story involves the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which uh, most Christians believe is not an Orthodox Christian faith. So first, what's the story, and why are we reporting it here on Ministry Watch, where we usually cover evangelical churches and ministries? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, First, let me uh, answer the part about the story itself, and I think that'll help me answer the why part of your question, Natasha. Uh, The story itself is this, that... uh, there is a prominent Mormon family in Utah, the Huntsman family. Some of our listeners may know that John Huntsman was, for a very short time, a candidate for president and also the governor of Utah. Uh, they um, have been also longtime contributors to the LDS Church. Um, but James Huntsman, who is John Huntsman's brother, has sued the church because of a story that broke a few months ago by our partners at Religion Unplugged. Uh, the story said that the LDS church had literally billions of dollars in real estate and other assets that, according to Huntsman, should have been used for missionary and charitable work. He wants his money back so he can give that money to other groups. So does he stand a chance of winning? Well, of course, the LDS Church has called the lawsuit baseless, and historically, if you give money to a ministry without giving it specifically to a designated fund, like, a, for example, a building fund, that you really don't have much recourse. However, I should also add pretty quickly that we're seeing a new era of donor activism. After the Ravi Zacharias scandal, the Boy Scout scandal, and other similar scandals, donors are beginning to speak up. Uh, donors to Gospel for Asia, for example, filed a class action lawsuit against Gospel for Asia, which is a large evangelical ministry based in Texas. Now, back in the 90s, I should also say that the foundation for New Era Philanthropy, uh, which was involved in a massive donor fraud, did end up giving money back to donors. So this clawback of funds is not unprecedented, but I will say it is pretty unusual. The fact that I had to go back 25 years to the new era scandal to think of an example where folks actually got their money back shows you, in fact, how rare it is. But again, donors are getting fed up with scandal and misrepresentation. And that, by the way, is the answer to the second part of your question, Natasha, the why. I think this lawsuit is important because if it's successful, we might see more like it in the future, directed towards Christian ministries. And even if it's not successful, it could provide instruction for future donor activists. Well, Warren, we have to take a break here, but when we return, we'll take a look at the Galloping Gourmet Graham Kerr. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and we'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. 
Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a Stork Bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork Buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Now, let's continue with the story of the Galloping Gourmet Graham Kerr. And I've got to admit, Warren, that before this story came out, I had never heard of him. <laughs> well, I think that that's definitely a generational thing, Natasha. But for our listeners of a certain age, shall we say, uh, Graham Kerr is probably a familiar name. He was once an international TV star, kind of the king of foodie television. He was also called the high priest of hedonism. He had about 200 million viewers worldwide in the late 1960s and early 70s because of his TV show, The Galloping Gourmet. But things changed for him. Yeah, uh, Graham Kerr is now 85 years old, and he's no longer the comic, wine-guzzling host that lit up daytime television for years. Uh, he became famous, in fact, for leaping over chairs to enter the set. Uh, he would usually have a glass of wine in one hand while he was doing all of that leaping. Uh, the audience didn't know it, but there was a piece of clear plastic over it so he could do that leaping without spilling his wine all over the place. But that just kind of gives you an idea of the sort of antics that he was engaged with on his TV show. He taped in all more than 1,800 programs and enjoyed a pretty stellar career. Uh, he and his wife, Trina, though, had a devastating car accident in 1971, and that was the beginning of a process for them that eventually led them to Christ. She became a Christian in 1974, and he followed soon after in 1975. When that happened, they walked away from their public lives uh, on television. Graham Kerr just felt like he couldn't be that same guy anymore, and he disappeared from public view for a number of years. But he's back. Uh, at least he's partly back. Um, they're making a movie about his life, and uh, he's involved into someone who's kind of part philosopher, part climate change activist, and also a cook. One of the reasons that it caught my attention here at Ministry Watch, he's also on the board of Christian Chefs International, and now a uh, guest teaches via video at the Christian Culinary Academy, which is the only independent culinary academy for Christian chefs uh, in the nation. Uh, Graham Kerr uh, is the first to admit that that Jesus made a big difference in his life. He used to, again, have this fast, opulent lifestyle. At one time, he owned two Rolls Royces, but he says this, in the past 34 years since I've been a Christian, I've made dramatic changes, and if I can change, so can you. Uh, you can read our full profile of Graham Kerr and the Christian Culinary Academy at ministrywatch.com. Well, our next story concerns the organization Youth with a Mission, and we had a story on this group last week, so what's new? Yeah, our story on YWAM, as they're called, uh, generated a lot of response, in fact, including a response from a pastor who directed us to hundreds of alumni of Youth with a Mission's training and outreach programs who said that they were spiritually abused by immature YWAM leaders who claimed 
to speak for God and warned that questions about their absolute control equaled rebellion against God. In fact, there are a number of painful videos uh, posted on social media where the victims of the abuse share their stories. They forgive the local leaders who abused them uh, and blame their suffering on YWAM's international leadership for their lack of oversight. The videos have generated hundreds of comments from fellow YWAMers who applaud uh, the girls' bravery and say that they've experienced similar abuse at YWAM bases in France, Australia, and here in the United States in California. Steve Raby's story is long and in some ways heart-wrenching So, because these women uh, involved are so articulate and they're credible. So I'd recommend that our listeners read the entire story and even watch the videos, which we have links to in this story. But what are some lessons uh, that you want our listeners to come away with? Well, first, uh, a message to parents. Uh, you know, you can go off on these YWAM uh, mission trips, and they're not just like short-term, week-long mission trips. Often, they're gone for a couple of years when you're as young as 18 years old. And uh, parents, before you send your kids off to serve Jesus with YWAM, you need to understand that they don't have really great oversight. They have a, a flawed uh, administrative and organizational model, and your kids could be placed at risk. I want to be clear that YWAM does great work. And um, there are lots of kids that consider YWAM experiences at such a young age to be defining and positive events in their lives. But um, they're put in often really tough circumstances. And if they don't have the right leadership at the local level, it could also be a recipe for disaster. So you should know where you're sending your kids, who the local leaders are, and what you're uh, getting into. Secondly, I hope these stories um, will encourage donors and the leadership of YWAM to implement some long overdue structural changes. Uh, one of the things that I've always liked about YWAM is its entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, but there needs to be guidelines and policies and procedures and much more training and leadership than a lot of these very young leaders are getting. And I hope that they'll find a way to do that without quenching the obvious work of the Holy Spirit in that ministry and killing that entrepreneurial spirit. But I've got to add, it is not going to be easy. Well, our next story involves pastors and their $800 sneakers. <laughs> yeah, a Dallas man has started an Instagram account scrutinizing what pastors are wearing and how much it costs. Ben Kirby's account is called Preachers and Sneakers, and it shows pictures not only of the pastor's pricey shoes while they're wearing them, including, for example, Kanye West 800 dollar pair of Yeezy sneakers. By the way, Natasha, I'm not very cool. Did I pronounce that right? Ye Yeezy? Yeezy? <laughs> I actually don't know either. <laughs> We're both very uncool then, right? But uh, anyway, that that those are the kind of pictures that are being shown there. A thousand dollar pair of St. Laurent leather boots were worn by Elevation Church's Stephen Furtick, but also other expensive clothing and accessory items. Um, while these folks are on, on platform, on television, usually preaching the gospel, uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes, for example, had a $1,200 fanny pack. Had no idea there was such a thing. And, and the $1,145 give on shay did I pronounce that right? Sweatshirt uh, by Pastor John Gray has gotten particular attention. Kirby told the Washington Post that he started watching these online videos of preachers and posting the pictures uh, because he 
thinks it leaves people wondering if it's okay to get rich preaching about Jesus. I should also add that Ben Kirby has a new book out soon called Preachers and Sneakers, Authenticity in an Age of For-Profit Faith and Wannabe Celebrities. Mm. Well, Warren, let me play devil's advocate here for a bit. I mean, first of all, what's wrong with Christians having style? Uh, We're told that we should pursue beauty and goodness. Um, So how does that work? And then secondly, how do you know that these pastors paid for their sneakers? I mean, couldn't they have been gifts? Yeah, Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, Ben Kirby has a t-shirt that he sometimes wears that says, don't judge me, it's a gift. And um, so that, that is a possibility, and I think we ought to stand uh, in that possibility. But whether it was a gift or not, uh, you, you know, I think that that this uh, Instagram uh, account really does raise some important questions. Uh, ben Kirby's book, which has the word authenticity in its subtitle, uh, I think raises a really important question. I mean, do we really want to have our ministries revolve around style and marketing, or do we want people to see us as being authentic followers of Jesus, people who live humbly, people who live sacrificially, uh, people who live with humility, and uh, folks who are committed to service? Now, if you ask me, I think the latter is the image that we ought to be projecting to the world and not an image of somebody who wears $800 sneakers. Definitely. Well, let's look at one more story before we go to break, and that's the news that religious conferences are slowly making a comeback. Yeah, the Religious Conference Management Association just held its annual meeting here in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I am, and the word there is that conferences are coming back, but the new normal is not going to be the same as the old normal. They're going to be in bigger rooms with fewer numbers of people to allow for social distancing. Uh, Temperature checkers will be at the entrances of exhibit areas, and there's a whole lot more. Can you give me some examples of meetings that are coming back after a year off? Uh, Yeah, sure. Uh, The Southern Baptist Convention, which canceled its annual meeting last year, has plans to reconvene June 15th and 16th in Nashville, Tennessee. The African Methodist Episcopal Church is planning its general conference in July in Orlando, Florida. And the National Religious Broadcasters Annual Convention, uh, which really didn't get canceled, it just got postponed from its normal March time frame uh, to June 21 through 24 of this year. So far, um, that postponement has proven to be a good decision. It means that it's likely going to be able to go forward. That meeting should go off as planned, but once again, and I know because I'm going to be there, they've imposed a lot of restrictions that we haven't seen in years past. Well, we're going to take another quick break here, but when we return, our weekly lightning round of ministry news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. 
Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Now, Warren, we like to use this last segment uh, as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. So what's up first? Well, two prominent members of the leadership team at the conservative think tank, the Heritage Foundation, have announced their resignations, saying that they had met the goals that they set for themselves when they joined the organization three years ago and are ready to pass the torch along to others. President Kay James will stay on as president for up to six months until the organization finds a replacement, uh, after which she will become a Heritage Distinguished Visiting Fellow and remain on the board. Executive Vice President Kim Holmes' resignation, though, will take place uh, effective April 16th. Uh, I want to add that Heritage is not an explicitly Christian ministry. It does claim to stand for what it calls Judeo-Christian values, and it is one of the largest organizations of its kind in the country. So we thought that this news was worth at least a mention. Now, you also have some news in the charity and philanthropy world. Yeah, a new study says that about 62% of households uh, where there are two spouses uh, living together uh, make their giving decisions together as a household. Uh, That's a majority, but it's also a significant decline from the 73% who said that they made their giving decisions collaboratively the last time that this survey was done back in 2005. By the way, here at Ministry Watch, we do encourage spouses to make their giving decisions together whenever possible. Now, Warren, who's in the ministry spotlight this week? Well, as I mentioned last week, we're paying more attention here at Ministry Watch to Bible translation organizations. That's a $400 million a year ministry that really hasn't gotten the kind of scrutiny that it needs to get uh, over the last couple of decades. So we're focusing on that a little bit more. Uh, this week, we have Wycliffe Bible Translators in the spotlight. Wycliffe Bible Translators began in 1942 as an interdenominational missionary organization with the goal of forwarding in every way possible the translation of the Word of God into all the languages of the world. It's grown since those humble beginnings into a kind of a behemoth. I mentioned that the industry was $400 million a year. Wycliffe Bible Translators alone does more than $200 million a year. You can take a deep dive into Wycliffe Bible Translators by going to the ministrywatch.com. Rod Pister's article on Wycliffe Bible Translators is right on the front page. And finally, ministries making a difference. Yeah, this week, Christina Darnell focuses on family care ministries, the Assemblies of God, Transworld Radio here in North Carolina, and Samaritan's Purse, which is also located here in North Carolina. I'd like to mention in particular the Samaritan's Purse effort. They deployed disaster responders last Friday, along with two disaster relief units to Alabama after tornadoes and heavy winds damaged homes and left thousands without power there. The tractor trailers, the those so called um, disaster relief units, uh, carried tools, relief supplies, tarps. They helped salvage personal belongings and were all doing so, as you can read right on the truck, in Jesus' name. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Associations also deployed rapid response team chaplains to Alabama to provide spiritual and emotional support alongside the Samaritan's Purse uh, trucks. Just one more example of the role that Christian ministries are playing in all areas of life in this country. 
And with that, we have to bring today's program to a close. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Rod Pitzer, Adele Banks, Anne Stike, Steve Raby, Mark Pinsky, Alejandro Molina, and Shannon Cuthrill. And thanks to our friends at the Nonprofit Times for contributing materials to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.